Welcome back to the Daily Devotion. My name is Kevin Hale. I'm the pastor of Christ Church Conway, a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America here in Conway, Arkansas. The Daily Devotion is a time for us to be strengthened in our faith through the study of Scripture and theology. We're working our way through the book of Galatians at the moment. It's an incredible letter that Paul wrote to a church that was struggling with believing the gospel and, and believing it kind of in, in its pure form as it actually is, believing the actual gospel, we would say. And what was happening was that some people had come in and were were adding works to the gospel, saying if you you know really want to be loved by God or, or you know whatever, then you need to do these other good works as well. You need to, to to keep the law as well. And Paul was saying, absolutely not. That is not the case. We are we are justified. We are received by God not in any way on the basis of our works, but fully on the basis of the finished work of Jesus Christ. This is, of course, an incredibly important point for us to understand about the gospel. It's important because it, it divides what is gospel and what isn't gospel. Anything that requires works of us is not gospel. It's not good news because we will fail. So in this letter, we've come up to this incredible section, Galatians chapter 3, verses 15 through 29. And we're, we've been working our way through this section slowly, reading the whole section each day because it really does all work together. So I'm going to read it once again today, and then we're going to look at verses 23 through 29 this morning. Let me pray for us, and then we'll jump right in. Father, we thank you for your word, and we ask that you would strengthen us by your word, that we would understand and believe the gospel, that we might be strengthened in our faith to rest more and more in Jesus Christ and live by faith unto him. We ask this in Christ's most precious name. Amen. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 15, To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and his offspring. It does not say unto offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterwards, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Well, we've walked through this passage. We've looked at the human example that Paul gives where he sets up this initial contrast between the, the, the workings of the Abrahamic and the Mosaic covenant. He's answered these questions about why the law was given and how the law and the promises work together. 
And now we come to this final section where, where we see a contrast of before faith came and now that faith has come. Verse 23, before faith came, he says, we were held captive under the law. Now, a couple of points before we just dive straight in. He, he uses faith and Christ in what seems to be a synonymous way in this passage. So he says in 23, before faith came, this, but now that faith has come, this, for as many of you were baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. Verse 24, so then the law is our guardian until Christ came. So th th there's he's kind of using the idea of justification by faith in Christ and, and the coming of Christ. He's using those, it seems, in this kind of synonymous way. He's not saying that we were justified by law-keeping before Christ came. Rather, he's saying that when Christ came, as we've already talked about in this section, that our relationship to things changed because something grander had been revealed. What was actually the point, the, the, the type of which the, the law and, and all of that were only shadows has now been revealed. So stop looking at the shadow. That's essentially Paul's point here. Before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. We've talked about this reality of planned obsolescence, and that's exactly what we see here. The law, with, with all of its pieces and, and, and all of its ceremonies and, and all of its different aspects, had a particular function for a particular time circumcision and all of that, the dietary laws, all of that had a particular function for a particular time. But that particular time with the coming of Christ has passed. So we were held, held captive by those things. They, they, they kept us in, kind of boxed in so that we could continually, so the people of God could continually see our need for a Savior. Think about how the law functioned day after day, Week after week, month after month, festival after festival, year after year, they had to come and make these sacrifices again and again and again. What was the function there? Well, one, they were coming to God. They were coming before Yahweh in faith. But, but two, it was this constant reminder that they were sinners and needed God to be merciful to them. But with the coming of Christ, something greater has come. And the sacrifice only needs to be made once. Now, the law still functions in this way to show us our sin, but what we see in this section is that they were held captive until faith came, the faith that would be revealed. So it says the law was our guardian. The word guardian there is, is kind of like a schoolmaster or a tutor until Christ came. In other words, the law was trying to teach us. It was trying to lead us to, to the truth of Jesus Christ. That was the goal of the law. That's the function of of the law. And, and it was doing that until Christ came, and it was doing that in order that we might be justified by faith. The law knew that it couldn't justify the people. I mean, if we can personify the law in that way. It's not the law that's unaware of its limits. It's, it's us and how we try to use the law. The law God has given particular limits to, and, and, and what we do is we try to pull it out of those limits and, and try to obey in such a way that God will somehow be impressed with us and justify us. But the goal of the law is to show us our need for a Savior, to give us a, a, this typological picture of Christ our Savior, that we might be justified by faith in Christ. 
Indeed, we, we've talked about this before, I believe, on, on the podcast in 2 Timothy 3. This is exactly what we see. Before we get to the all scriptures breathed out section, we read that, that Paul's reminding Timothy to, to continue in what he's learned. How from childhood he had been acquainted with the sacred writings. That's what we think of as the Old Testament. And these sacred writings, he says, are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. That's why they were given. That's why the law was given. That's what the Old Testament does. Then he says, now faith has come. We're not under that guardian. In other words, if we're, if we're looking to Christ, we don't need a tutor to lead us to Christ because we've come to him. You know, a person that's taking calculus and not doing well needs a tutor to lead them to, to the right way to do the math problems that are before them. But the person who understands calculus and aces all the tests, they don't still need to be going to a calculus tutor. They understand calculus. So it is with the law and Christ. If the law was given to be a guardian, to be a tutor, a schoolmaster, to lead us to Christ, then apart from Christ, apart from faith in him, we need the law to do its job. But once we have come to Christ, once we have found him, we don't keep looking at the law trying to find something else. We have found the one whom the law was trying to show us, the one whom the law was tutoring us to. And so we're not under its guardianship any longer. Because now, Paul says, we are all sons of God. Now, for, for that, that phrase, you know, we hear it and we're like, okay, cool. We don't think about it. That, that would have been an incredibly weighty phrase in the first century because sons were the ones who received the inheritance, not daughters. So the reason it doesn't say and shouldn't say sons and daughters is because Paul is making a point that he's going to build out explicitly here in a second. All our sons. What he, his point is that, that everyone in Christ, man and woman, Jew and Greek, everyone in Christ is an inheritor of the promises. He, this isn't some kind of you know, sexist statement he's making here. It's actually, when we understand it you know, contextually in its cultural setting, it's precisely the opposite. Paul is declaring that everyone in Christ is an inheritor of of the promises of Christ because they have been united to the Son who is Jesus Christ. And they have been united to him through their baptism. And so that's the point of what he says in verses 28 and 29. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. None of those things, none of these you know, realities of our life, whether it's our ethnicity, whether it's our nationality, whether it's our socioeconomic status, whether it's our gender, whether it's our age, we could, we could add any other thing that we often, you know, look at as giving someone status. None of those things give us any extra status with God. We either have the status of being united to Christ by faith, or we have no, we have the status of being a sinner before him, justly deserving his displeasure and his wrath. So it doesn't matter where you fall on any particular social or cultural ladder. If you are in Christ, Paul reminds us, you are an inheritor of the promises of God. That's verse 29. If you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring. 
heirs according to the promise. So earlier, Paul had reduced that collective offspring to just Jesus, and now he fills it back up in this collective way, reminding us that the offspring is Jesus Christ first, and all who are united to him by faith. We inherit what Christ inherits because we're united to him by faith. And our status in this world, whatever it may be attached to in this world, means nothing. Only Christ. Only him. He is all we need. And praise God that we have him. Amen. Amen.